Welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now you will hear Pastor Rich preach the sermon, Cut It Out, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. We pray that God would use this sermon to speak to you directly. And now to Pastor Rich. Morning, church. So I wonder if when you were a kid, you were kind of like me. You're out on the playground and you look at another kid and you tell the kid, my daddy is bigger than your daddy. (laughs) You ever do that? There's a movie called The Bronx Tale and it's this film about this young man named C and he has two father figures in his life. One, of course, is his regular dad and the other one is this gangster named Sonny. There's this scene where C goes to church and he's having confession before a priest. And this is what the priest says about Sonny. Don't be afraid, son. No one is more powerful than God. C replied, I don't know about that, father. Your guy may be bigger than my guy up there, but my guy is bigger than your guy down here. Now, while that may sound cute for a movie about a gangster, we know the Lord is sovereign. He's awesome. He's all-powerful, almighty, and nothing, absolutely nothing can thwart the plans of our God. And because God is our Father, our Daddy is bigger than any other. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, as we continue in that study in the Gospel of Mark. As you're turning there, really quickly, let's catch up where we were last week. Last week, Jesus settled an argument that the disciples were having along the road. The argument was, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus had just told his disciples about his upcoming death and resurrection and how he was about to be betrayed. Yet the disciples, after hearing this news, what's on their mind? Disputing with one another about who the greatest is. And by the way, newsflash, if you want to know who the greatest is, it's Jesus. There's no other. It's Jesus is the greatest. Then we learn that if we only seek to get close to those who are great here on earth, we are not living by God's standards And we are not becoming the kingdom citizens God has asked us to be. Molly Howard said this, Having faith like a child means that we have confidence in all the promises of Christ, and especially when we can't see the outcome. So Jesus exposed the ambition of his followers, and he told them, if you want to receive me, receive a humble child. And that's how you will receive me. And so today, Jesus is going to warn against offending his little ones, and then he's going to speak very clearly, listen, because maybe you don't want to listen to the rest of the message after this, he's going to very clearly tell us the dangers of besetting sins within our life. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman number one, there in your bulletin, exclusive followers. If your Bibles are open, Mark chapter nine, let's begin with verse 38. It says, now, John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him. 
for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. And for whoever gives you a cup of cold water in my name to drink, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So again, remember what just happened. Jesus just exposed their ambition as they're walking along the road. And then in verse 38, notice the timing. Now. So this is immediately. He just corrected them. And now. And now John speaks up. Imagine this scene. Again, he told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be betrayed. They start arguing about who the greatest in the kingdom is. And then he corrects them. And right in the middle of the correction, John goes, yeah, but Lord, we saw somebody doing this in your name and they're not one of us. So we forbade him. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons and they don't follow us. Instead of being happy, that some demon-possessed man just got healed, notice what they do. There in your notes, John basically said, only we can perform healings in Jesus' name because this man wasn't part of their inner circle. Think about the audacity of this guy. By the way, Adam Clark, just as a side note, believes this was one of John the Baptist's disciples. But remember what had happened a couple of weeks ago. The disciples are frustrated because if you remember why Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, some of the disciples try to cast out a demon out of the young boy and they could not do it. And Jesus had to come down off the mountain and tell them it's because your faith is weak. You haven't been growing in your faith, so you can't cast out this demon. And now all of a sudden this rando guy is over here casting out demons. So they're upset. They're frustrated. A few weeks ago, Mark 9, 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And so here's this guy, possibly a disciple of John the Baptist. We don't really know. But here he is, and he's making someone free from the bondage that he was in, freeing him from the powers of Satan. And John, the apostle John, is mad and jealous because it's not me, and they're not one of us. You know, the enemy of our soul hates God. He hates God, so therefore he hates God's creation, us as well. But Jesus very clearly cares for his creation. He cares for us, and he even calls us his masterpiece, his poema, his Mona Lisa. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. That's the word poema, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God calls us his masterpiece, and Satan hates it, and so he attacks us at every chance. And, And so again, John sees this man casting out demons, and instead of being happy, someone's finally free. Someone's finally got the freedom in Christ. No, he's not part of our church. He's not part of the first Baptist or whatever. He can't do that. I mean, just imagine this small thinking. William Lane said this, the 12 had an unduly narrow perspective toward the work of God. 
narrow-minded. Because he's not part of our group, he can't do things in Jesus' name. There in your notes, here's the truth for us. We have to be careful not to place the Lord in the box of our small thinking. But we also have to be very careful to test all things by the word of God and hold fast to that which is true. Both of those are important. Don't put God in your box. Test all things by the word of God and hold on to that which is true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Test all things. And, and here's how we do this. When you want to test a ministry, first consult the word of God. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then stop testing. You don't have anything else to talk about. If it goes against the word of God, I don't care how much you like the guy, the gal, I don't care. If it goes against the word of God, we're done. First test. But if it lines up with the word of God, then ask two other questions. Does the person doing that ministry love the Lord? Do they love the Lord? And are they genuine believers? So if it lines up with the word of God, they love the Lord and they're genuine believers, then we can support that work. You got to remember, when we get to heaven, I don't get to like be in the Baptist Avenue and you get to be down Pentecostal Boulevard. That's not how it works. There's no denominations in heaven, believe it or not. We're all one in heaven. So if you don't like a certain denomination, you better get over it here because you're going to have a lot of learning to do there. But notice Jesus' statement in verse 40. He who's not against us is on our side. William Lane again said this. If anyone is working towards the cause of Jesus and the twelve, he cannot work against it at the same time. If you're working for Jesus, can't work against Jesus at the same time. Jesus said something very similar, but in the opposite direction in Matthew chapter 12. This is what Jesus said. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. But Jesus also said in John 14, 6, right? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. So that's pretty narrow-minded of Jesus, isn't it? No one can come but by me. There in your notes, G. Campbell Morgan has said, only two forces are at work in the world, the gathering and the scattering. Whoever does the one contradicts the other. And then notice what he says. Whoever gives you a cup of water in my name, that, that principle of unity within the body and, and part of the fruit of the spirit is being gracious and kind to other people. Guzik said this about that verse. Nothing could seem more petty than giving a cup of water. But God remembers not only the heart, but the gift as well. God remembers. Think about that. You gave somebody, you know, you're driving up the road. Someone's got a flat. They're on the side of the road. It's 100 degrees out. They're towing a boat home, whatever it is. And you see the little kid out there on the side of the road. They're just, oh. And you stop and go, hey, I got a nice chest full of water. And you just give a few waters. You got someone coming. Okay, God bless you. Have a good day. And you drive away. And you think nothing of it. Maybe 20 years later, you don't even remember. But God does. God remembers simple acts of kindness done in his name. Nothing can seem more petty, but God remembers. All right, so Roman numeral two. 
Little ones caused to stumble. Look at verse 42. Jesus' words in red, by the way. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, there's a couple of different opinions about this passage, about who these little ones are. R. Allen Cole says he's speaking specifically about little children. But who are these little ones here in verse 42? I mention this all the time. You've got to take the passages of Scripture in proper context, or otherwise you can make it say anything you want. It's the 2020 rule, right? Read 20 verses before and 20 verses after to, to ascertain what they're trying to say. So who are these little ones? They're in your notes. Some interpret this passage to say Jesus was not referring to a literal child, like the one he held in verse 36, but rather, based on verse 41, he is referring to all those who belong to him. The Apostle John later would write this in 1 John 2.12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So remember what Jesus has been teaching here. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to accept little children and be like a little child. So if you want to be great in the kingdom, kingdom greatness comes with serving and being last. That's where kingdom greatness comes from. And last week, we learned that a child, taking care of a child in their culture was like the lowest form of anything. It was a servant's job. It didn't bring with it any clout or anything like that. And so Jesus, using this child to illustrate their hearts, shows them, have the heart of a child and be willing to serve a child. There in your notes, embracing the role of a servant involves identifying with the lowly as well as extending the kindness of Jesus to the lowly. If Jesus remembers such small acts of kindness, like offering a glass of water, he will also remember the times that you have caused somebody to stumble. And that's a scary reality. Notice he says, it'd be better for that person if you hung a millstone on their neck and cast them into the sea. Now, you got to understand, there's two kinds of millstones back there, but the one he's talking about here was used to grind wheat. The millstone was so large, so wide, so heavy that it took oxen or mules to pull it around and crush the wheat. So what Jesus is saying is this big thousand pound stone around your neck and throw you into the sea would be better than you causing one of his children to stumble. That's a harsh reality. In God's eyes. Causing a young person in the faith to stumble with stinking thinking is a big deal. You know, we, we look at some of these cults and some of these people who teach this goofy theology, you know, the, the gospel of greed or whatever it is to get something for themselves. And they think it's no big deal to lead one of God's children astray. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal. So more good news. Roman numeral three. Nothing worse than hell. Nothing worse than hell. Look at verse 43. Jesus, again, his words in red says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, 
where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It would be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I knew I should have skipped over this passage. (laughs) But Jesus is intentionally being very graphic here. Very graphic. And it's like, I should have told the little kids to get out of the room. No, Jesus is being so graphic here because he's trying to explain the damage that sin will do to your life. Now, I'm not one of these hellfire pastors and I'm going to slam the pulpit. God is not angry with you. Understand that. What God is saying when he's saying quit sinning is because I love you. You're my poema. You're my masterpiece. I created you for so much more. And you're hurting yourself and it's breaking my heart. That's Jesus' heart behind the stop sinning part. It's not because you're a bad girl, a bad boy, and, you know, you can't have this. That's not God's heart. God's heart is, you are mine. I bought you. I made you. I brought you back. And now you're harming yourself. And he wants us to quit. Let me give you a story as illustrating this. In 2003, in April, a guy named Aaron Ralston went into Utah's Blue John Canyon, and he became trapped by this 800-pound boulder as he was climbing rocks. And it pinned him against the wall, and it had his hand stuck, and he could not move. Six days, this guy's like that. Six days stuck. Dehydration, he thinks he's going to die. No one's coming. Hypothermia, all these things are going on. He thought for certain he was about to die. He only had one choice left. He took a multi-tool. Six days stuck like this, and he cut off his right hand and then rappelled down the mountain. Imagine this. Who would have the, what's the word, chutzpah, to do that? I mean, who could do that? You know, you're stuck for six days. No water, hypothermia, no one's coming, 800-pound boulder, and you take out this jagged knife and cut your hand off. By the way, this is a true story. The climber lived. Think about this. William Lane said this. Verse 43 was not a demand for physical self-mutilation, but in the strongest manner possible, Jesus is talking about the costliest sacrifices. It'd be better to go through life maimed, okay, than to go to hell with both hands. There in your notes. Jesus is stating that it's better to be physically impaired here on earth than to forfeit your eternity apart from Christ. I I thought about this, you know, Sermon on the Mount sort of thing, and I thought about this. Is Jesus really asking the man who has a lust problem to pluck out his eye? And I'm not going to say how many one-eyed men we have in here, but... (laughs) But he says that in Matthew 5. If your eye causes you, he says the same thing, then pluck it out. It was a figure of speech. It wasn't literal. What he's saying is, if there's something in your life, something in your life that you're putting ahead of the Lord, be it a relationship, be it a a sin problem, be it whatever it is, it's better to cut it out. 
than to go to hell with all of that. That's what he's saying. Anything that damages my fellowship with you, be it a person, be it a job, be it whatever, get it out of your life. Remove anything out of your life that stands in the way of you and I having a relationship. I've often said this, and I mean, I don't know where I picked it up. I'm sure I stole it from someone 30 years ago. But sin always, always takes us way further than we ever intended to go. And it always costs us way more than we ever wanted to spend. I mean, you think of Samson, right? Samson had this problem with these women. And, you know, first he says, well, this is my strength. That's my strength. And pretty soon he goes, it's the cord in my hair. So he's getting closer and closer. And then finally he says, okay, Delilah. Okay, it's my hair. And notice what happened to him. And, and how apropos that he had his eyes plucked out. Here's a man with a lust problem, and he had his eyes plucked out. I mean, hmm. Sin is a hindrance to our spiritual growth. And the Lord wants us to have this beautiful relationship, everything in him, and it's a hindrance. So if there's a habitual sin in your life, pluck it out. If you're wondering why you're in a spiritual rut this morning, ask yourself. Go into your prayer closet and ask God, what is it, God, in my life that I've put on the throne instead of you? What is it? And he'll reveal it. Be careful, though, because when you ask and he tells you and you do nothing about it, it will not go well for you. Speaking from experience, obviously. There in your notes, Guzik said... Jesus warns us that we must be willing to sacrifice in fighting against sin, that nothing is worse than facing the wrath of a righteous God. When we allow sin to just stay in our mind, it just grows and grows and grows, and it's just going to damage every relationship in our life, including the one with the Lord. There in your notes, a modern interpretation of verse 43 might be, if the internet causes you to stumble unplug it no matter how much you think you need it. How's that for a modern interpretation? If the people you associate with cause you to stumble, take them out of your life. And the cure for sin, here's the cure. Really simple. Be transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy Yet it's so hard to die to the flesh. And the flesh is so strong. My flesh can convince me to do the stupidest things at the <laughs> stupidest times. But that's the thing. Be transformed. And, and so here in Mark 9, Jesus uses these similes of our eyes and our hands and our feet to represent, catch this, what we see, what we do, and where we go. <laughs> and why? Because... What I see, sin begins here. I play around with it, and then it fleshes out. What I do is as it's fleshing out and where I go. What do I see? What do I do? Where do I go? Imagine this. Wearsby said, whatever makes you stumble in life, have it removed like surgery. And I thought about that statement. Have it removed like surgery. So I imagine this, this hospital visit. You know, it kind of goes with my gender, but imagine this hospital visit. I get before the doctor and the doctor says, you have this growth and this growth is cancer. 
and it's got to come out. And like a lot of people who join me in my gender, ah, I'm all right. Rich, you're going to die if you don't get that taken out. Ah. And I just say, no, I'm not going to have the surgery. I don't want surgery. I'm fine. Wasn't well, it that same way with sin? We know it. We know what we're involved with. And the Lord would say, cut it out and have the abundant life. Ah. It's almost like I tell God I know better than him. Praise God, you guys don't do that stuff. R. Kent Hughes said, there has to be a severing, a gouging out if you want a victory. That thing has to be severed. And when you sever something out of your life, let me tell you something, it's painful, right? But I like that. But, I mean... It, if sin wasn't enticing, no one would sin, right? So let's, let's, let's be honest. We could be honest with each other. Don't tell anybody else. But sin has to be enticing, right? It has to look inviting or we wouldn't do it. I mean, you know, if it was like eating beef liver, we'd all say, no problem. I'll give up sin every day for you, Lord. No problem. But it's enticing. And so I like it. But you need to cut it out to have abundant life. Well, I really want abundant life, but I don't want the surgery. Cut it out. All right. Roman numeral four. Fire and salt. Look at verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. First notice, everyone will be seasoned with fire. What a promise. Thanks. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work to see what sort it is. This is obviously talking about the Bema seat judgment or Christ seat of judgment. First thing you got to know about the Bema seat judgment is the Bema seat judgment is for believers in Christ only, not for non-believers, and it does not determine salvation. If you're at the Bema seat judgment, good news, you are saved. Okay? This is talking about works we've done to test whether we did them through the Holy Spirit's power or our own power. It has zero to do with your sin. God judged your sin on the cross. And if you're a non-believer, you get to have your sin judged. If you're a believer, good news, your sin was judged. It was nailed to the cross. And Jesus said, it is finished. Okay? Which is, I can get an amen out of that one from somebody. <laughs> okay. But this is talking about the works that we've done. Whether we did them by the power of the Holy Spirit, we did them in the flesh. What was our motivation? And Paul's talking about, he's using this metaphor of a building. What kind of building materials are you using? It's like the three little pigs, and I'm sure that's where the three little pigs got their story from 1 Corinthians. I'm sure of that. But are you building your house with wood, hay, or straw? Are you building your house with gold or silver or precious stones? And, and notice, every sacrifice then will be seasoned with salt. 
which you don't know, or maybe you do know, Old Testament sacrifices, before they were burned on the altar, had to be seasoned with salt, every one of them. And so salt was used here as a simile to say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be salt to a flavorless world. Okay? There in your notes. The world we lived in is full of every kind of spiritual and moral rottenness, decay, and pollution. We live in a fallen, sinful world. So we have to be salt to make a difference. Wearsby said the disciples were God's salt, but they were in danger of losing their flavor and becoming worthless. So let's talk about some attributes of salt. A there in your notes, salt preserves. Salt's a preserving agent. It, it keeps meat from spoiling or rotten. You, you got to remember back then they didn't have a frigidaire, right? And, and so if they would slaughter an animal, whatever didn't get eaten, they would salt it like we would do with corned beef, which, you know, that's what God made on the eighth day. Corned beef <laughs> or jerky, right? You go out and kill a deer, whatever part of the deer you don't eat, make it a jerky. You use salt and it preserves it. And so it would kill the surface bacteria. So that's what a Christian is to be. We are a preserving agent for God. We keep things from rotting for God. The disciple is to be salt, preserving influence here. If you look throughout world history, anytime there was a true movement of Christ's church within history, you've seen that nation would preserve. Whenever the church got weak, and whenever the church stopped living as salt in the world, you would see the nation deteriorate and you would see trouble. Now, I don't want to pick on our nation. But look at America. Look at where we have come in 50 short years where you can no longer pray in school. You can have the Bible in school or anything else. And look at where our nation is going with its morality. It's because the church is not being the salt that we need to be. Our moral roots are just crumbling. Okay, so salt preserves, but also B, salt purifies. So they say salt is a cathartic agent. And a cathartic agent purges and purifies a wound. So think about that. If you don't believe me, give yourself a paper cut. Go get the table salt dump it on there and let me know. You will know that salt is working, right? Open wounds, infections, all those sort of things. Well, think about a Christ follower here in the world. Think about this. Sometimes our most loving words can cut like a knife and pour salt on the wound just by being loving. You know, we say something loving and you hate us. You hate me. No, no, I love you. Right? And sometimes people in the world see us, they love it. Sometimes people in the world see us and they hate us. Have you ever just been minding your own business and have someone come up and just like pick a fight out of nowhere? You didn't even open your mouth. And you're like, what was the deal there? Well, don't wonder. We have an enemy. And sometimes that happens. And so we prevent decay. We prevent decay. And again, Get salt in the wound. Tell me how much it hurts. C, salt provides flavor. So a Christ follower is not only a preserving agent and a purifying agent, 
but were to add flavor to the world. An active ingredient with the fabric of life. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to get our little ticket to heaven and then sit on our blessed assurance until Jesus comes back for us. We are called to be an active ingredient in the world. We're called to do that. We're called to represent Jesus wherever we are. We're, we're to add new and wholesome flavor to things. Here's what I thought about. You know, so many Christians want to wait and save their salt for heaven. Can I tell you something? Here's a secret. Heaven doesn't need your salt. Heaven's a perfect place. There's nothing that needs preserving or purifying in heaven. So use your salt here. Heaven doesn't need it. All right, D, salt provokes thirst. Again, eat that beef jerky that I just made for you, from, right? And you're eating that jerky, and it's so salty, and what, what do you need next, right? A Mountain Dew, right? That's what you need next. Bag of jerky and a Mountain Dew. We're all right. We'll go places. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think about that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. There in your notes. The Lord tells us that we should hunger and thirst for things he can offer that will satisfy our deepest cravings. The person for this deep hunger for the Lord, when they are just operating in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's just flowing out of them naturally, people all around them are going to want what they have. We don't got to go beating someone's door down or anything else because when you're operating in the Holy Spirit and those living waters are just flowing through you, people are going to be, I don't know what you got, but I want it, right? I want it. If you're not living as a purifying agent, you're not adding flavor to this world and preserving, what does Jesus say? Mark 9:50. salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will you season it? So my question is, how's Christianity doing in America? And because I are one, I'm including myself in this, right? So I'm not just picking on y'all. How, how are we doing, church? Listen to what John Stott, a leading Reformed theologian from Great Britain, said. And this, I want to send him some hate mail, but it was too true. He said, whose fault is it that America looks the way it does with its corruption and debauchery. Let me put it this way. If a house is dark, there's no sense blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where's the light? If meat goes bad, there's no sense blaming the meat. That's what happens when bacteria grows on meat. Where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense blaming society. That's what happens when fallen humanity is left to itself. The question to ask is, where's the church? The church needs to become salty again. There in your notes, because Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we know we're his masterpiece, so we need to represent him as salt to a lost and hurting world. Again, you are my poema. 
You are my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Act like it. So when we cut out sin and we cut out favoritism and we cut out all these things, we are acting like salt. We're acting like light. And I thought about this, you know, I know that I'm saved. I, I, I know many people struggle in doubt. And, and I tell you, I struggled in doubt in my Christianity for a lot of years. And then one time when I was doing a word study out of Hebrews where God says, God chastens or corrects those he loves. And if he doesn't correct you, you're an illegitimate child. You know the verse I'm talking about? So this verse, I did this word study on it. I mean, because it just wasn't plain enough English for me, I guess. And so as I did this word study, I thought about this. Every time I get out of line, and I mean one step over the line, sweet Jesus. Every time I get out of line, I sense the Holy Spirit just crack. And I'm like, why? Why is God so mean to me? And then I did a word study on that verse. God chastens those he loves. And he corrects every son. Right. And if he doesn't correct you, you're an illegitimate child. And I thought about that. And after some time praying and thinking, I went. He loves me. <laughs> God's not an ogre and God's not mad at me. God wants what's best for me. So when I step out of line, crack. <laughs> and so now there's two things I learned from that. Thank you, Lord. May I have another. And I'm a child of the most high God. I am. So I don't struggle anymore with doubt. But I do struggle with the fact of if I was being salt like God's calling me to be salt, the people around me would be more thirsty for God. And that was sobering. Are the people around us thirsty for God? Do we act higher than thou and look down on you filthy sinners? Or do we create a thirst because we love the Lord God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, and they want what we got because, man, it's attractive. That was just a question asked me, and I'm not going to ask you that question. But instead, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Every week, we'll be in the back. We'd love to pray with you. I guess the take-home from today is what sin in our life is creating a roadblock in our relationship with the Lord. And are we salty? And I don't mean that in the way your grumpy old uncle used to be salty. Right? Are we salty? And what in our life needs to be cut out? Cut it out. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the sermon, Cut It Out, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Tune in next week for Pastor Rich to preach a Father's Day sermon. You can also be part of our Sunday service in person or online every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithklamath.com. That is livingfaithklamath.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. That is Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the Word of God. Thank you again, and God bless you.